0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you. My name is Clark. I'm one of the leaders on staff here at Written and Grace. And if I haven't ever gotten the chance, uh, opportunity to meet you and your family, love to meet you, get to know you a little bit uh, afterwards. And for those of you that I have met and got to know a little bit, I'd love to just catch up and just see uh, what's been going on in your life. So uh, nonetheless, it's great to see everyone here and also uh, great to uh, know that there's people tuning in online. So thanks for joining us um, in that way as well. Thank you, everybody, for carving out time of Your Sunday morning to uh, tune into this message. A lot of things you could be doing today. You could be sleeping in, right? You could be enjoying maybe some overcast weather or whatever kind of weather we have today. Either way, glad you're here, uh, whatever way, shape, or form that is. Uh, We're continuing a series that we've been in uh, about the life and story of Joseph, Um, a story that many of us, uh, my guess is if you're a Bible person or you grew up in the church, you're probably vaguely familiar at least with the story of Joseph and Maybe the, the Technicolor Dreamcoat, whatever uh, play or movie you saw. I was actually watching the, uh, that, uh, it's kind of like a Disney style movie of uh, Joseph. I think it's like the, the Prince in Egypt or the King in Egypt. You guys familiar with that one? It's on Netflix right now. So I started watching it last night. So I felt super prepared for today because I watched the animated version of Joseph, which is probably a little bit biblically correct. So, <laughs> so we're good to go. Um, So just to recap, if you haven't been with us, uh, we started this series, we're actually in week five now, I believe. So uh, you can go online to our website, though, uh, writtengrace.org, and you can get all caught up with all the past uh, weekend messages. Those are there. um, They're for free and they're for you. And so we hope you take advantage of that. But let me just uh, recap us a little bit. Uh, In week one, we actually talked about the uh, family background. Of Joseph, and so we talked a little bit about uh, his father Jacob and how he's from uh, the house of Jacob and some of the uh, dysfunction of that family, right? Which a lot of us can identify with dysfunctional families. So that was a fun week. The uh, week two, we talked a little bit about this idea of how he was uh, kind of the favorite son, uh, so much so that his father Jacob got him the uh, the fancy robe of many colors, and so his brothers uh, were a little bit jealous of that, and there was some sibling. Uh, rivalry kind of happening. And so that led into his uh, sold into slavery, actually threw him into a a pit or a cistern, a well you might call it, and then he was sold uh, into slavery. Last week, if you were here or tuned in online, you probably remember we talked about uh, temptation and how uh, Joseph uh, resisted the temptation of Potiphar's wife. She tried to seduce Joseph to sleeping with her and he resisted that. And even though he resisted, he didn't betray his trust with Potiphar And he didn't disobey God. Uh, He was sent into prison. And that's actually where uh, we're going to pick up the story uh, today. We're going to talk about uh, Joseph, if we can get that. Yeah, we're going to talk about Joseph in prison. So uh, I thought a really creative title for today's message would be prison. (laughs) So that's where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go with me to Genesis chapter 39. Uh, Genesis chapter 39 and chapter 40 is kind of where we're going to be mainly camping out this morning. And as you're going there, um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the words up on the screen as well. Uh, but I also just want to, before we jump in, let me just ask you a question. And you don't have to answer it out loud, but uh, do you remember the first time that you got into it with your parents? You probably weren't expecting me to ask you that, but you remember the first time you got into it with your parents, the first time you... Maybe we're be- rebelling against your mom and your dad. Uh, for me, it was probably early middle school, late elementary. It's actually probably earlier than that, but let's just go with that for the sake of the sermon. <laughs> um, I don't know what I did. It was probably dumb and irresponsible, but uh, I-, I remember being uh, disciplined for it. <laughs> and I remember when that happened, uh, I remember thinking the punishment didn't fit the crime. So, have you ever had a moment like that where you, you, the punishment didn't fit the crime? Uh, For me, I I remember responding to my parents and and telling them that they didn't love me right? because they were punishing me and they were disciplining me for what I did. So they sat me down and they explained how by their disciplining me, that was showing them how they loved me. And so I remember saying, well, if you really loved me, then you wouldn't take away my Nintendo 64. right? Or if you really loved me, well, you wouldn't take away my skateboard. And that's just kind of what we do when we're kids. And uh, there's times in life, I think, when we have that if you really loved me thought, and it's actually sincere. Um, there's, There's times when our expectations of what love should look like does not match our current reality. And I think a lot of us have expectations of what love should look like. All of us have expectations of what love should feel like. And I think that our expectations... Um, A lot of times our expectations can evolve over time. It takes a lot of maturity, I think, uh, to realize that love comes in a variety of shapes and sizes. Uh, For example, a child can't comprehend how their parents could possibly love them while forcing them to eat vegetables. I mean, I remember growing up thinking like, gosh, you're making me, you're forcing me to eat these things? Like, you really love me? Wow. Uh, As we grow... So we, we begin to mature a little bit, and we realize that sometimes love feels comfortable, uh, sentimental, and sweet. And then there's other times that love is uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes we can be loved and be experiencing pain at the same time. And so our expectations of love begin to evolve, and they begin to change over time. Uh, but our relationship to God adds this extra layer of complexity to our expectations of love. And here's why I say that, because God not only claims to be perfect in his love for us, uh, he claims to be all-powerful as well. And that adds a whole new layer of expectations of love for us. We might think, God, if you really loved me, if you really loved me, you would do something about the circumstance that I'm in right now. Or God, if you really loved me, surely you would save me from this seemingly senseless suffering. Or God, if you really loved me, then you would do fill in the blank. Why? Because you're God, because you can, because you're not only loving, but you're all powerful. And that begins to shape our expectations, oftentimes of God's love. And I think if we live long enough, we start to discover that our expectations of God's love and our experience of God's love often feel light years apart from one another. What we expected from God oftentimes doesn't line up with what we're experiencing from God. And sometimes it doesn't even feel close. I think the gap between our experiences and our expectations, I think that gap, that's called suffering. And and that could be sort of a crucible that forms us in a way that nothing else can in life. And I think we call that a trial in the Christian life. And here's what we know about trials. A trial always does something to you. No one ever walks through the fire unchanged. And it's either going to form us or it's going to deform us. Your heart's either going to be softening or it's going to become hardened. You either become united to the broken or closely identifying with the hurting, or you know what it's like to feel their kind of pain and identify with them, or You might believe that lie that tells you nobody understands what I'm going through. You might isolate yourself and find yourself on an island alone. And it might strengthen your faith, producing steadfastness or endurance because you're actually learning to trust God, even in the difficult times. Or it might weaken your faith. Uh, Many people have found that trials of life robbing them of their faith altogether. But one thing that can be certain about trials is that trials never leave us the same. Uh, They always do something to us. So this morning, what I think we're going to see in this story of this young man, Joseph, is that he was unjustly imprisoned because of his faithfulness to God. Surely his experiences are not lining up with his expectations. God, I was faithful to you. I was faithful even when it was hard. And now I'm in prison. How do you explain that? And so surely the the gap between Joseph's experiences of God's love and his expectations of God's love, there's a gap in between those. But rather than the trial hardening Joseph's heart, rather than him isolating and weakening his faith, what we're going to see is that it actually softens his heart. And it causes a greater dependency on the Lord. And it causes him to be deeply aware of the pain that other people are experiencing. And it actually strengthens his faith in the promises of God. So all that to say, what I want us to see this morning, more than anything, I think if we were to boil it down to its irreducible minimum, I think we would see this. I think we'd eventually see this. (laughs) God does not love us the way we expect him to. He loves us the way we need him to. God doesn't love us the way we expect him to. He loves us the way we need him to. So just to give us a little bit of context before we dive in, I think it's important to remember a couple things. Uh, Joseph did not betray Potiphar's trust. He did not sleep with his wife. He did not disobey God. And the theme that we see reoccurring throughout this story and narrative of Joseph is that God is with Joseph. We see a couple times today, we'll see it, that the Lord is with him. God is refining Joseph in the fire of his prison cell so that he can fulfill his role in God's redemptive purposes. Uh, I love the way John Lennox uh, puts it. He says it this way. uh, See if I can get that for you. John Lennox says it this way. His prison experience was a necessary part of his training to fulfill a central role in God's purposes for his people and the world at large. And so what does that mean? I think it means that Joseph's life wasn't about Joseph's life. His life was about God. And God had a plan for Joseph. He had a purpose for Joseph. But I think if we let that sink in for a minute, we realize that life isn't all about me. Life isn't all about Clark. And that sounds simple, but it's not, especially in today's culture, which tells us that the world revolves all around us. I love the way that uh, Francis Schaeffer, he says it this way. He says that human blindness is when we begin thinking the world revolves around us rather than seeing the world and all of us in it revolve around us. And so that's what we see with the life of Joseph. We see that God has this uh, sovereign, redemptive plan. that He's going to use the life of Joseph, even the suffering of Joseph, to bring about his sovereign, redemptive plan. So we're going to see that this morning. So without further ado, we're going to dive into our text. So we're going to break in at verse 20 of chapter 39. So if you want to join me, that's where we're going to begin. says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So just notice right there, you'll see that it says the Lord was with him. And so what that means is that uh, even in the wilderness pit, all the way up until uh, Potiphar's prison, that the Lord is delivering Joseph from death. And he's with Joseph, and even though he's not removing him from the suffering, God is with him in the midst of the suffering. We so, so we see that that God is with Joseph. That's kind of the reoccurring theme that we see here. We see that He showed him notice kindness, and it showed him kindness, and granted him favor in the eyes of the people. So this this word is actually one word in Hebrew. It's the word hesed. And it basically is this covenant loyalty. It's this committed love. It is this uh, covenant partner. I'm going to help this this partner in this, uh, this covenant love. And so God is with Joseph, and he is showing kindness to Joseph. He is committed to Joseph. He's faithful to Joseph. And we see that, if you notice, he says, it granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So if we continue. We'll notice what happens next. It says this. So, the warden put Joseph in charge of all those in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did, whatever he did. So, notice it says again that the Lord was with Joseph, uh, so much so that he would grant him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, and he would make him manager of the entire operation. And so, Joseph is a, a trusted individual. He has this administrative skills. He can be in charge of this entire prison. And we see that whatever, wherever Joseph goes, God is granting Joseph success. And so notice what happens next here. He says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. So I just want to uh, notice right here, it says sometime later, which uh, this I just want to highlight because I think it's important for us to understand that from the time that Joseph was in slavery to the time that he's in prison up until right now, it's been over 10 years. So just kind of keep that in mind as we continue the story together. Uh, I want to highlight a couple characters here. the cup the cupbearer and the chief baker. I just want to talk about them a little bit. So let's start with the cupbearer. So this was a a person who back in biblical times, kings were oftentimes afraid of being poisoned. And so they would have this cupbearer, which would uh, taste what is in the cup to see if it's poisoned or not. And so as you can imagine, this is a job with a pretty high turnover rate, but uh, somebody had to do it. And so you have this chief baker now. And as you can imagine, this is somebody who is baking. They're baking stuff like, Probably cakes, probably bread, bringing it to the king's table. And if you notice, it says that Pharaoh was angry. Right? Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, and he threw them both into prison. Now we don't know why he did that, but we know that 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 he did. And it was probably—I mean, I'm just assuming that it was probably had something to do with being food poison. Right? So either that somebody somebody baked a cake that poisoned Pharaoh, or um, you know, gave him something that had maybe had a bad chorizo. I don't really know. The text doesn't tell us. But whatever happened, he was angry. He threw the cupbearer, threw the chief baker into prison. So, so notice what happens next now. It says, after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. And so I'm just going to summarize a little bit. Uh, The Bible tells us that the cupbearer and the baker both each had a dream, a meaning of its own, which we just read. Joseph says, tell me your dreams. With God's help, I'll interpret them for you. So the cupbearer tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream. He says, here's what your dream means. Within three days, Pharaoh will restore you back to your position, and he's going to put you back into your old work. You're going to be the cupbearer again. You're going to be holding the cup. You know, you're going to be trying to make sure it's not poisoned. And so he says, but please remember, when these things are going well with you again, tell Pharaoh about me. Put in a good word for me. Get me out of this place. I don't deserve to be here. Right? It was unjust. I shouldn't be here. And so after saying that, the baker tells Joseph his dream. He says, well, if you interpreted the cutbearer's dream, maybe you can interpret my dream too. So the baker tells Joseph his dream and Joseph interprets his dream. And if we bounce down to verse 19, we'll look at that together. Things escalate pretty quickly. The Bible says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. The birds will eat away your flesh. So I just got to be honest, I've never met a person who said, Genesis 40, 19, that's my life verse. (laughs) If you ever meet somebody like that, I, I would love to meet them. But uh, I've never met a person yet that says Genesis 40, 19, that's my life verse. You would not get that, you know, knitted on a pillow or embroidered on something. <laughs> that would just be weird. So why is it in the Bible? I think it's in the Bible, uh, I think it's in the Bible to show us that these dreams that were interpreted by Joseph actually came to fruition. That Joseph was unique in this, in the fact that he could, with God's help, of course, interpret these dreams. Because notice what happens next. The Bible shows us. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief uh, cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. Now, I just, I just love this part. I find it kind of comical. So it's Pharaoh's birthday, the Bible says. And so Pharaoh's like, it's my birthday. I'm going to throw myself a birthday party. So happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. So Pharaoh has his own birthday party. And he has all the officials and all the who's who's come to this birthday party. And uh, notice what happens. This is so great. It just says, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. So I just got to say, this is probably the weirdest birthday party ever. Like, (laughs) I don't know if you can imagine being there like you know, Pharaoh's at his birthday party. And he's like, it's my birthday. I'm feeling good. Bring in the cupbearer, bring in the chief baker. All right, the cupbearer, I want you to restore him back to his position. The cupbearer, I want you to chop off his head and impale him. Happy birthday to me. That's what I want for my birthday. Like, like that would have been so weird. And imagine like coming home from a birthday party like that. Somebody would be like, hey, how was Pharaoh's party? Like, oh, I got to admit, it got weird pretty quick. You know, the cake was good. And you know, he opened up some gifts, but then after that, it got pretty dark. It got pretty twisted. Was, so again, why, is, why does the author of Genesis go out of his way to, to tell us this? Well, I think the reason he tells us this is because he wants us to know something. He, he wants us to know that Pharaoh was the most powerful person in the world at this time. Like if Pharaoh didn't like you, he would just kill you. And that's going to come into play later on in this story, in this narrative. Uh, But for now, we really got to pay close attention to this next verse, verse 23. It says this, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So just put yourself in Joseph's shoes now. You're alone in this cold, dark prison floor, and you're thinking like, all right, any minute now, I'm going to get released. And days go by. Any minute now, it's going to happen. The cupbearer is going to tell a Pharaoh, I'm going to be released. And then days stretch into weeks, weeks stretch into months. Two years are going to go by before the cupbearer even remembers Joseph. So just, again, try to put yourself in his shoes. Imagine like what that would be like for us. Those of us who we have Bibles, we know how the story is going to go. He's gonna get out of prison. We know that, but Joseph didn't know that. So just imagine him being there, thinking like, "Well, I guess the cupbearer just forgot about me. Maybe God forgot. About me. God, did you remember me?" I think I think him being in that moment, right? He might have had that thought, like, "Well, God, if you really loved me, you'd get me out of this prison. God, if you really loved me, the dream that I had would come true, right?" The cupbearer's dream came true. The baker's dream, unfortunately, came true. But is my dream going to come true? I think I think this makes us ask a, a really important question for ourselves this morning. Will we entrust ourselves to the love of God no matter what the love of God looks like or feels like? Will we entrust ourselves to the love of God no matter what the love of God looks like or like? How do you even begin to start with that? Where do you start? I think the answer is Jesus of Nazareth. Takes on human form. Enters our brokenness. Begins to experience the love of the Father in light of the complexities of life. You have God the Father loving God the Son for the sake of the world. The love that God showed for His Son begins to look strange. God loved Jesus. God loved the world through Jesus. Just picture Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane before the cross, praying to his heavenly Father, my Father, please take this cup from me. In other words, will you create a new path? There's nothing wrong with that. But then the second part, that last part of the prayer is crucial. But not my will, your will be done. See, I think that Jesus didn't doubt the love of the Father for a moment. In John 16, the Bible tells us that Jesus says to his disciples, you guys are going to scatter, but I'm not going to be alone. My heavenly Father is going to be with me. Of course, in John 3.16, we see that God so loved the world, that he sent his one and only Son, that those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so how do we entrust ourselves to the love of God, no matter what the love of God looks like or feels like? I think the answer is the good news of the gospel. I think when we remember God's past faithfulness, it secures our future confidence. We know that God loved us so much he would send Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins, to raise from the grave on the third day to conquer, defeat Satan, sin, and death. I think it's the good news of Jesus think if you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Christ, that I would encourage you to do that today. And it's not hard. Just repent of your sins. Change your thinking. Turn and accept that invitation of God's free gift of grace. Say, Jesus, I'm going to turn. I'm going to follow you. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I know I can trust you. And I know that you love me far beyond my expectations. I encourage you to do that this morning, and you can let us know in that connection card on the tables in the back. We would love to journey with you. We would love to help resource you and equip you in following Christ, but I would encourage you to do that. But for the rest of us, I think think maybe we need to be open to the possibility that maybe God, maybe God is continuing to love you Through the cold and dark floor of a prison cell, whatever that might look like. Maybe God is loving you in his presence, in his proximity to you. And maybe it doesn't feel good, maybe it's incredibly painful at times. What you're walking through, what some of you are walking through right now, what some of the people that you know are walking through right now. But you can remember because of Jesus. You've been brought into the love of God. And he's always with you. That's why the Bible tells us that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. You're never alone. The love of God is never far from you. And maybe God is using your suffering to complete his purposes in loving the world. Here's what I know. There isn't an ounce of my pain or your pain that doesn't go unredeemed. Through Christ. And that's why I think Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So God doesn't love us the way we expect him to. He loves us the way we need him to. And I'm so thankful for that. I want to invite Dave R. up here uh, to get uh, settled in. He's going to lead us in a song. It's a really powerful song. And as he's getting settled in, I just want us to imagine for a minute, uh, just imagine the hope that we could have in this life if we embraced this line of thinking, right? That God doesn't love us the way we expect him to. He loves us the way we need him to. Imagine the lives within our spheres of influence that might be impacted for Christ, can you imagine just how much our faith would grow if we chose to embrace that line of thinking my goodness imagine what kind of church ritman grace brethren church could be if we got a hold of the understanding that god's love that his love is 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 not what we expect from him but it's 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 what we need from him that there's nothing that can surpass that kind of love what kind of witness could our church be to our Neighbors in our community and our world, if we embrace that, God doesn't love us the way we expect Him to, He loves us the way we need to. Let me pray for us. Well, God, I just thank you so much that you don't love me the way I expect, you love me the way you love me far beyond that. You, you love me the way I need you to love me. And Lord, I just pray for those here that have never come to the realization recognition of your son Jesus and just his his power and that that he is seated at the right hand of God and heaven interceding in prayer for us God I pray for those that are you know trying to make that decision to to surrender their lives to Christ Lord in the midst of all the chaos in the midst of all the suffering that that may or may not be going on in their life right now Lord I pray for the person here that has been following you uh, for their entire lives, just about. And yet, we just need reminded of that incredible truth that, that Lord, you're with us, and and you may not always remove the suffering, in the timing we think, but but you're there with us in the midst of it, God. And that's more than we can ask for, God. You're You're Emmanuel. You're God with us. And we just thank you, Lord. Help us to bless you in our time of worship together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.